We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hello, it's Josh Vernier, 610 Sports Radio's Royals Insider. Thanks for downloading or clicking play or whatever else you did to listen to uh, my interview with Royals general manager Dayton Moore getting ready to uh, uh, barrel towards 20 years at the helm of the Kansas City Royals with a World Series ring and a pair of pennants uh, currently in his office. Uh, we talk about a few more things that are in his office, things that are on his brain, things that weigh heavy on his heart, and much more. Um, enjoy. All right, so... I'd like to start with, uh, I think you mentioned during a recent uh, Zoom call, you know, oh, back when I was at George Mason as a, oh, yeah, I believe the quote was a horse crud baseball player. I have a hard time believing that if, if you're playing college ball. But if during that time uh, you were given a sneak peek at what your career would look like, what aspect would come as the biggest surprise? Well, I never saw myself getting off the field. You know, it, uh, I think most people would have described me probably as a, as a player and as a, as a coach, as somebody having a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, love putting in the time that it takes to be a highly successful coach, uh, somebody who tried to be very relational uh, with players. And so I never saw myself getting off the field. I was very committed uh, to the coaching profession once I finished my college baseball career. Um, and I was fortunate that Billy Brown, the head coach at George Mason, gave me an opportunity. I, I actually had signed with an independent pro team when there was just a couple in the country. A guy named Mal Fishman was the manager of that team. And then I got released in spring training and then Billy Brown asked me right away, you want to come and join our coaching staff? He said, I can't pay you. And, and of course, I understood that you got to pay your dues. And so I was a volunteer. And then the next year, I was getting my, my master's. So I was a grad assistant. And then it kind of evolved from there. But, um, you know, I was just really, really focused on the coaching profession and, and, and never wanted to get off the field. And I had two opportunities to be a scout. Uh, one with the Seattle Mariners and one with the Minnesota Twins while I was coaching at George Mason. And I didn't even give it a second thought. I mean, there was no way I was interested in scouting. I was very focused on coaching. I was managing in the summer leagues at the time. And I felt like I needed to coach at least 100 plus games a year uh, if I was going to become a, a really good manager, game manager, if you will. And so I was really focused on that. And then when the Braves called, I originally told them no as well. And Roy Clark, who was the, the supervisor, he was just really, really persistent. And uh, he wouldn't take no for an answer. And he finally said, look, just go down to Atlanta and, and meet with the front office and talk to them. And so I decided to do it. Of course, the, the Braves were, you know, they were the thing right then and there. I mean, they were 
you know, just beginning what was going to be one of the most historic runs in all of baseball, 14 division champions and championships. And so I decided to go meet with them. They offered me a scouting job uh, and I was going to do it just for four years and then get back into college coaching. Not been uh, a minor league player. Uh, I felt like four years would give me enough time to really learn this side of the game, refine my evaluation at a high level, be around some really smart baseball people, be exposed to the pro environment, and then what a natural transition that would be in going back into putting the uniform on and being a college coach. And so I really saw myself doing that. And then one thing led to another and we started having kids and then we just began to make decisions that was best for our family and wasn't necessarily best for uh, my professional career. It was just what was best for our family. And then, you know, we, we were given some opportunity to do certain things, a lot of different things in the game. And I'm very thankful for that. Was the hesitancy to go to scouting um, a reluctance to take the spikes off? Cause you don't know if you'll ever put them back on. Yeah, it really was. But I just, I love to compete, Vern. I mean, I loved, uh, I loved coaching. I loved early work. I loved extra work. I loved even, and even when I was a scout, I mean, I probably ran more tryout camps than probably every scout in my territory combined. I mean, I was running camps all the time to the point where I was really starting to uh, frustrate and anger some of my colleagues because, you know, they, they felt that, you know, I shouldn't be running all these tryout camps um, because of whatever reason. I, I still can't figure out. But, you know, I made some probably enemies along the way. Every Sunday afternoon, I'd run a tryout camp in my territory during this was prior to the draft because I wanted to give every kid an opportunity to be seen by the Atlanta Braves. And then after the draft, when I had my pro coverage, I'd run tryout camps during the day in that region, uh, wherever I was, whether I was in Wilmington, Delaware, or I was in Charleston, West Virginia, or I was in uh, Harrisburg, PA doing pro coverage. I'd run tryout camps in that area during the day, during the morning, about a hundred mile radius, if you will, just continue to work guys out, have trial camps, give kids a chance to play. But I love, it was enjoyable for me because I got to throw BP and I got to hit fungos and, and get on the field and, and interact with players. In fact, when I was with the Braves, I ran all the pre-draft workouts till the last day I was with the Braves. I mean, I ran the workout and, and um, so it was very enjoyable for me. I'm sure you've you've gathered over the years that I would assume the reason there was animosity directed your way for those camps was because some people and I, and I was like this when I was younger. I don't want to work that hard, and you're making me feel bad for not working that hard. And as I've grown up and been around professional ball players, I've heard their stories about how hard they worked when they were younger and coming up and. Well, of course you ended up here when you worked that hard. Sounds similar with, with, with your careers. Man, that, that work ethic has been unyielding throughout. Where does that come from? Because well, with ball players, it, it, a lot of those ball players, it comes from, I have to do this if I'm going to escape my surroundings. I, I wonder where it comes from for you. Well, it's, it's just a love affair. And when you, when you, when you love what you do, and I could never get enough baseball. Um, and truthfully, it kind of 
controlled all of my thinking, everything that I did. It was very controlling, but I didn't even realize it at the time until my wife pointed it out to me uh, probably about 20 years ago. And um, in fact, she said that, you know, all you guys in baseball, it's like you're in a cult. That's all you ever think about. It's all you talk about. It consumes all aspect of your lives. And, and, and really, it's just because we love doing it, Bert. I mean, it's just so enjoyable. I mean, you got to think about it. This is what we've been doing since we were little boys. And I can never recall a day in my life where I haven't dreamt or thought about baseball since, since my existence. I mean, I can't recall a day when I haven't thought about it. And so it's just, you just, you love it. And when you love it, you just keep pursuing it. And you, it, it's funny when it kicks you in the teeth and it frustrates you, you find yourself even pursuing it more aggressively. You know, I think, and that's kind of like what we're all kind of feeling right now with just a 60 game schedule, the shutdown, uh, not being able to live it every single day. Um, and so it, it just kind of uh, creates more energy, makes the flame burn a little bit brighter, if you will, uh, to motivate us to continue to pursue the game. But it's never been work, Burn. It's never been work. It's just something we love to do. And that's why I told people, you know, people would ask me, especially during our early years, you know, when we were struggling and trying to build the team and, you know, we weren't having winning records. And, you know, obviously after three to four years, if you're not winning in professional sports, people wondering when ownership's going to make a change, right? Or were they going to change directions with the leadership? And people would ask me those questions. And I never worried about losing my job for one second because I was very happy in every job I've had. I mean, as long as I was in baseball, I was happy. I, I really loved being a volunteer coach. I loved being an area scouting supervisor. I love coaching young kids. And so as long as I'm in the game, um, you know, I'm going to enjoy it. It's interesting that you say that because to a certain extent I can relate in that I, I get asked or I used to get asked a lot, you know, ah, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And man, just keep me around the game. And it, it sounded or I felt as if I was saying, man, I don't have much drive where it was the opposite. I, I, I would do anything to stay around the game. Um, so the aspirational aspects of your career um, when offered those scouting jobs in Major League Baseball, when your mindset is I'll do anything to stay in the game, why wasn't that the obvious choice when that was first offered? Well, I think, Bert, because I was just really focused on coaching. Not that I had any disdain for, you know, being a scout or didn't think that would be fun or interesting. But, you know, when you're so caught up and involved with what you're doing, you really are day to day. You're not thinking a whole lot into the future. Uh, you're thinking about how can I get the most out of today? How can we win the day? Uh, how can we make our players better today? How can I improve as a coach today? And I'm not really concerned about – you know, what's going to happen long term um, because you, you've, you've just got to be so laser focused, as we all know, uh, and committed to the fundamentals and just getting better each and every day. And so that, that's where the focus. So you don't even think about another profession or, excuse me, another, another role in baseball. You're just so focused. You know, if I'm going to – my father always told me, he said, son, work every job like it's the last one you'll ever have. And then he would say, and chances are it won't be. But if you commit to your job like you're going to do it for your entire life and you just be the absolute best you can be, 
whatever that job description says, perfect that job description, whatever you have, um, you'll probably earn more opportunity. Uh, but <clears throat> you got to be really, really focused on making sure you're, you're the absolute best at what you're asked to do. So do you think your, your job title is more a reflection of your drive and work ethic more so than your dreams being fulfilled? Well, I think that, you know, any measure of success that, that I've had, uh, I have to, to give a, a lot of credit to uh, my mentors, people who helped me along the way, people who have spoken truth into my life. Uh, you know, I've recognized the, who the important people are uh, to listen to, uh, who's earned the right to speak truth into my life, if you will. And uh, of course, uh, you know, my wife, Mary Ann, has been a great encourager along the way. She's, she's understood the, the time commitment it takes in this profession, she's been very supportive. You know, she's um, extremely positive about things. The one thing I say about Marianne all the time is, you know, she she acts like she loves baseball, but she just kind of likes it. I mean, she likes it, but she acts like she loves it, right? And so, and I think that, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that, you know, it's, it's worked so well. But, you know, you, you've got to have um, really good mentors, people that, are opening up doors, people that believe in you. And then once you get an opportunity, you've got to make sure that you capitalize on that and bring value every single day. And once you get in a leadership position, if you want the privilege to continue to lead, you really do have to put others first. You have to develop trust. It's one relationship at a time. People have to know that you are going to be there for them pick them up when they're down. And, and really that's the only way you're going to motivate people to want to work for you is you stand up for them. And uh, you always speak the truth uh, in, a, in a positive and constructive way. Words written and spoken should be meant to encourage others and to be positive, speak the truth. Um, but um, when you, to get the privilege to lead, the way you earn that each day is you truly have to go to work and, and put others first and try to open up opportunities for them uh, to reach their goal and reach their ceiling. And so I, I had people that uh, in my life um, that did that for me and you know, what we're trying to do that uh, for others. I've been around a lot of organizations that present a mission statement or a moral compass and then behind the closed doors, they don't necessarily always follow that compass. It, it, it certainly, from what I've garnered, seems as if the Royals organization stays true to its mission statement and to their morals. But I wonder professionally, I don't know if you're always going to get exposed if you don't do the right things as far as a baseball organization. Do you remember the last time you were tempted or has that been easier to avoid in your position? Well, the, the one thing I've, we've always tried to do is um, put ourselves in the other organization's shoes in the other general manager's chair. We never wanted to trade a player who was uh, not in good health, uh, good um, mental, in a good mental state. And what I mean by that is, you know, perhaps a player's dealing with something off the field that could potentially uh, disrupt their level of focus and concentration on the field. Perhaps they're going through a divorce. Perhaps 
they have a family member who is sick or dying or a child who is not doing well. We're going to share that with the other team. We're going to say, hey, look, you know, he's, he's going through a very difficult time. I don't know if this will affect him or not, but you need to be aware of this. You know, this player has had some experiences with some elbow uh, discomfort. Uh, the trainers don't think it's a big deal, but I want you to be aware of that. Or if, you know, there's something in the player's medical that can be hidden, because as you know, Vern, these guys are all dealing with something. It would be easy to move a player who is not 100% healthy. Um, but if the player goes over there and breaks down and doesn't perform well, that's, that's going to affect uh, that general manager's uh, job status, which in turn is going to affect all the employees in that organization. And uh, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you are uh, trading players that you believe will help the other organization be very, very successful because that general manager, his staff, his employees, their livelihoods are at stake. And then you have a fan base who uh, is expected uh, that you're trying to motivate to follow your team and to grow the game in your culture, your city, your fan base. And so we don't want to do any harm to the game. And uh, to me, I think that is doing harm to the game if you're, if you're trading a player that you don't believe will, will live up to expectations uh, with the other organization. Do you think someone can reach your job title in this game uh, without abiding by those rules? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think – I think if if you really put your mind to something and you'll do whatever it takes to get there, you, you're gonna you're gonna get pretty high, and you may end up getting there. Now, I don't know if you'll stay for long. I think you'll get exposed eventually, and when you do win, it'll be a shallow victory because there won't be a lot of people celebrating with you uh, if you didn't do it the right way. But there's no doubt in my mind. We see it every single day. I mean. People reach the top of their profession, you know, stepping over whoever they need to step over, um, cheat to get there, cut corners, but uh, it doesn't last. It won't last. Speaking of reaching the heights of your profession, I remember in New York in 2015, you know, it was just such a crazy celebration afterward. And I, I walked through the tunnel coming out to the field and saw you in the dugout sitting at a far end, uh, the far end of the dugout, almost by yourself. What, what was going through your mind at that time? You know, honestly, just a lot of, a uh, lot of relief and a lot of joy for Mr. Glass. Um, a lot of joy for our fan base, a lot of joy for, the families of our employees, appreciation for our players, uh, appreciation for Ned Yost and the coaching staff. You know, just a, a very peaceful feeling, if you will. Vern, I didn't really feel a lot of excitement or overwhelming excitement until we were at the parade. And I don't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, uh, somebody said, I mean, I remember – uh, listened to the radio and Mary James said they expect about 250,000 people. And then I found out there was maybe 800,000 people in attendance. And uh, it, 
it was very overwhelming. Uh, and I realized the incredible unity, uh, the success of this baseball team brought our, our city. And so that was really humbling. And that was really the first time I felt overwhelmed and extremely satisfied, if you will. But those initial um, feelings was unfortunately more relief than anything else. And uh, if we, when we get back there, I want to enjoy it more. You know, I never went to any of the galas uh, that we had around the World Series. I'd been a part of those galas in Atlanta. They were fun, but they were very, um, they were very taxing. Uh, it took a lot of energy, spending time with a lot of people. We were just really, really focused on on uh, trying to win and making sure we didn't miss out on any little detail because those experiences in Atlanta also taught us that it's very difficult to win. And I knew that that we had a chance to win in to win the World Series. I thought in '14, but also in, in in '15 for sure. But even in '16 and '17, I thought we were going to have a chance. But I knew that we probably weren't going to be in a position to go on this run like we had in Atlanta. And so I, I knew that we may never get back to the world series. And so it's just so difficult to win. And I'm, I'm not putting limitations on our team or our players, but I just knew how difficult it was to win. To win. And, and I knew that we needed to take advantage of this situation because I, truthfully, I thought we matched up really well in 14 with the giants. I thought we were a better team than them. And then in 15, you know, especially when we got past the Angels in 14. Um, and, then in, and then in 15, you know, once we got past um, Toronto, because I thought Toronto, I, I mean, I thought we, I felt like we could, we're definitely in a really good position to win the World Series when you looked at the matchups and potential matchups going forward and just wanted to really take advantage of that. But if we, when we get a chance to do it again, I'm, I'm going to want to enjoy it a little bit more. What does that look like? What, because it, it's such a strange profession that, that you and even the athletes have chosen to where, you know, you watch this Michael Jordan 30 for 30 documentary, he wins his fifth title and, you know, there, there's not much joy. It's about get, even LeBron today. It's not about what he just did. It's about doing it again to where uh, you use the word relief. Uh, many people on the outside would look at it as a lifelong accomplishment, and yet not too many people in your position or the gentleman on the field really get to bask in that accomplishment. You know, I think that's unfortunate, really. Yeah. You know, I really do. And so hopefully we get that opportunity again. I want to do better. I want to enjoy it more. I want to share it with more people. Like I said, Vern, I, I had no idea of how our – playoff journey our world series journey was uniting our city i really had no feel for how important that was for many families until after the fact and um you know i'm embarrassed to to admit that i I wish i would have understood that a little bit more but again we were just so caught up into trying to to win and do something special and and um, something that hadn't been done in this market in this modern era of baseball, uh, win a World Series. And then, of course, you know, we hadn't been to the World Series in 29 years here in Kansas City. You say you don't realize it, but I, but I wonder because I could understand, and 
I remember an interview George did with Bob Costas where uh, he gets choked up uh, when he talks about the parade after 85 and, and you see the impact that it makes. I guess it kind of surprises me to hear you say that because uh, to me, you've always been the kind of baseball man that I think appreciates walking around the concourse and seeing a father and son. You do. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I remember Ryan Lefevre sent me um, a text at uh, one of the playoff games, and he says, I hope you get a chance to just go sit in the front row and look around, you know, the stadium. And, and I took him up on it. And, yeah, I mean, it was a, an opportunity to pause and appreciate everything. And so, but, you know, I guess the, the, the higher point in what I was saying was you just, you want to just stop and just kind of smell the roses a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah time along the way really appreciate it um, um, a little more in depth one of your keys to organizational harmony is remain calm in the eye of the storm you remember your first storm in life whichever route you want to go whichever one you're most comfortable talking about. I remember my first storm in life was you know, when my, my father, uh, my father passed away and I was uh, in my early 20s and, um, you know, just starting to develop, I think, a relationship with him that that was going to be man to man. Um, and so I, I miss that. I still crave that to this day. But I remember, you know, I mean, he worked really, really. He was a hard worker. He was an airline mechanic. He was on 24 hour call seven days a week and he was gone a lot. And so he wasn't around a ton. Uh, and then when he passed away, uh, you know, my mother, she went to work uh, 40 hours a week at a cable company and then four days a week at Kmart once, uh, three nights and, and, and then on Saturdays. And so you know, I just remember the financial struggles um, that uh, were, that she had dealt with obviously. And, and uh, so we began to, to do everything we could to try to, to help her and, and so, um, you know, that was probably the, the first, well, it was the first storm that, that I'd been through. And so many people have been through a, a, a lot worse. And, um, but I realized at that point in time that, you know, you, nothing's for granted. You take nothing for granted. Nothing's guaranteed to any of us. So I, I developed an urgency to really commit and try to do my absolute best every single day, no matter how I feel. And the work ethic, um, the dedication that you have today all stems back to watching your mom work like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Speaking of storms, um, what did you learn from the, the, the storm that was the passing of, of your Donald? You know, we could see that. We could see that coming. Nobody can predict um, somebody's last day on this earth, of course, but... Of course, Renee and I grew up with Giordano uh, in this organization and, and others as well. But Renee and I were, as far as the front office, probably the closest to him. And, um, you know, we could just see his, his behavior patterns changing, uh, especially when um, he was given the big contract. If I could do it all over again before we gave him that contract, I would have demanded that he move to Kansas City. Um, or moved close to Renee in Florida, he would have had to do one or the other if we could do it all over again. But, um, you know, we, we trusted him. 
We trusted, I think, our processes a little bit too much, uh, our support system that would come alongside of him. And then, you know, it kind of got away from us a little bit. And, you know, I remember the last day uh, of the season. So we called him in and um, to Ned's office. And, and I told him, I said, look, you're Donald. I said, um, I'm concerned about you. And I said, I love you. And I want you to come live at my house this off season. And um, he said, no, I don't, don't want to do that. And I said, well, how about Renee? Why don't you go live with Renee? Just go, go live with, you know, Renee's house. And, and uh, he didn't want to do that either. He said, but I'm going to move to the capital. Uh, I'm going to work out every day. I'm, I'm going to be more committed. Uh, I'm going to get some counseling that we had set up and helped him with. And, um, and he was doing really good. He really was. Um, but, um, you know, and I'm not saying that, I mean, he got in a car accident, obviously, late at night. The toxicology report still has not uh, been made public, so I don't want to comment on that. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it was reckless behavior uh, that ultimately, um, you know, got him kicked off the planet. And are you at peace with that and your role? You, you don't look back and kick yourself because you're just one one person. I do think about it. In fact, I got a picture of your downer right here in my office. Um, I've got a I've got a picture that I keep of side by side of your Dono in the parade here in 2015, and then I right beside that I have a picture of him in the back of a pick truck, pickup truck, and it's his casket. And there's a parade following him to the burial site, the cemetery. And, um, you know, it's a reminder of how uh, the brevity of life, how short it is. Scripture tells us that life is a vapor um, and none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And that's a reminder of that. And, and it's also a reminder for me, Vern, that we got to keep fighting, fighting for our kids uh, fighting for our marriages, fighting for our children, because the culture in the world is coming for them. And, um, you know, they're going to be tempted to do a lot of things, um, just like we all are, just like I was, uh, and continue to be. And so we got to continue to fight for, you know, for our, our, our players and fight for our families if we're going to be successful. Dayton, final thing. Whenever, when you, when you do get to that back nine. When, when that arrives, I, I wonder, and it, and it seems to me a trait of great leaders, which I am not one, uh, but I do like learning. It seems to me that when those days come, it's not so much of, man, I'm proud of what I accomplished. It's, I remember what I could have done a little bit more. Does that sound like you is it is it less of what I have done and what I instead of what I could have done? Well, it's an interesting question. I've never really thought a lot about that in those terms. But like I said, I do feel more of an urgency to make the most out of each hour of each day than I did 10, 15 years ago, and and that's probably you know the natural progression of life you know, with our behavior patterns and how we think about things and view life in general. But, you know, Vern, when our time is done here in Kansas City with the Royals, 
Um, the only thing I want said about us is that we treated people with kindness. We treated people with respect. Uh, hopefully we made the game better in our community. And, uh, you know, we inspired a lot of people to follow the game of baseball. And that's why I've always encouraged debate. I've always just encouraged discussion uh, within our walls and outside these walls. I, I want our fans to be really engaged. And we, that's why we've always tried to be very transparent with, with how we make decisions and why we, we have made certain decisions because um, it's important to engage our fans in that way. So they have uh, an understanding and, and they can discuss things uh, you know, in a logical, uh, constructive way. Well, Dayton, I, I appreciate the time. I was always told early on in my career, uh, you're not supposed to, you know, trust the organizations and the people that you're covering. We got to have a wall up. But um, it's been a pleasure uh, being around and, and uh, watching the way that this organization runs. And I look forward to uh, continuing doing that, hopefully in Surprise Arizona soon. Yep. Thanks, Vern. Great having you on and appreciate your contributions. And it's fun to listen to you. You have a, a great mind for the game. And I disagree with you. Um, I think you are a great leader. And I think you have more influence than you think. Um, I know I enjoy listening to you. Uh, I enjoy your feedback. I enjoy your insight to the game. Uh, you know uh, how players think and uh, you have an understanding of the game and uh, don't lose sight of that because your influence is very important and it is felt. Very nice of you to say, Dayton. Thanks for the time today. Okay, Vern, thank you. Baseball is back and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.